Don Mockholtz, and you are listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 57, for the week of February 3rd, 2021. The related website for this podcast is donmockholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, February 3rd, the moon is in our morning sky, a little more than half full. By the end of the week, Tuesday, February 9th, the moon is a thin crescent in our morning sky. The southern hemisphere is highly favored for seeing the moon as it approaches the sun on Thursday, February the 11th. As for seeing the young moon in the evening sky after the new moon on February 11th, the equatorial and southern hemisphere is favored. On February 5th, the planet Venus passes just south of the planet Saturn in the early morning sky. But this will be very difficult to observe as they will be only 12 degrees from the sun. On February 10th and 11th, next Wednesday and Thursday, Venus passes just south of Jupiter. They will be 10.5 degrees from the sun. The moon will be in this area on Wednesday, February the 10th. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins on Wednesday, February 3rd through Tuesday, February 9th? It all depends upon your location. The ISS appears as a bright, slow-moving star going across the sky, and it's usually visible for several minutes. It is our brightest satellite. This week we have five zones. All you need to know is your latitude. From north latitude 65 degrees and north, you will not see the International Space Station this week, nor for several more weeks. Between 32 and 65 degrees north, you can see the ISS in your evening sky sometimes twice per night. If you live near the north part of this band, say up by 50 degrees north, you won't see it all week long in your evening sky, but only for the first half of the week. The Ukraine, Canada, Ireland, Japan, evening sky. Between 20 degrees south and 32 degrees north, The ISS will be in your evening sky for at least part of the week. That's the equatorial region and more, including Mexico, India, Colombia, and Egypt. Evening sky sometime this week. From 35 degrees south to 20 degrees south, the International Space Station will be in your morning sky, but only for the last couple days of this week. South of 35 degrees south, go for it. 
The ISS will be in your morning sky all week long, sometimes twice per night. To determine where it will be in your sky, go to the website heavens-above.com and enter your location, then click on ISS. On January 1st, 1975, I began my systematic comet hunting program. At the end of each year, I tabulate the number of hours, the number of meteors, and the number of satellites that I saw. I wish that all comet hunters talked more about the number of hours they searched. It would be interesting to know if Charles Messier or Pons kept track of how often they swept the sky and what areas they covered. Most comet hunters start enthusiastically, and as the years go on, they do fewer and fewer hours. The comet hunters that I studied in the 1970s and since then have almost always known how many hours each comet discovery took. So they were keeping track of the number of hours, but they did not publish or discuss how many hours each year they searched. The only way to determine the number of hours per year that each did is to get the number of hours for a discovery of their most recent comet discovery, then divide by the time since their previous discovery. Because when they would find a comet, they would say, this is so many hours since my last find. By doing that, this is what I found. During the mid-1970s through the late 1990s, well, that's when the automated surveys ended the searching for many visual comet hunters, the most successful comet hunters searched about 100 hours per year. An exception on the low side was the late Rolf Meyer of Canada. He averaged about 30 hours per year, for the six years in which he discovered four comets. William Bradfield, the late great comet hunter from Australia, who visually discovered 18 comets and then passed away in 2014, he swept no more than 160 hours per year and, generally speaking, averaged about 100 hours per year. One of the comet hunters who was searching more than 100 hours per year was Howard Brewington, who discovered five comets over seven years' time. Shigisha Fujikawa of Japan was also searching almost 200 hours per year during that time. In my first 10 years of comet hunting, I averaged 336 hours per year. And most years, I, I spent more time out there than anybody. I didn't really know it at the time. I wasn't competing to have more hours than anybody. But as most common hunters did not discuss their hours and, until they found something, I just went out and did what I did, searching the sky just about every clear night. The weather, the moon phase, personal circumstances, and the available areas to be swept all of these affect the amount of time that visual comet hunters swept the sky. 
Now, with the automated surveys finding most of the comments that we would normally find, very few of us are still visually sweeping. Almost two years ago, I moved from Northern California, Colfax, California, that is, to to Arizona with a semi-retired lifestyle. The weather is better here, and my time is more flexible. With those two factors in my favor, I was able to comet hunt for 224.5 hours in 2020, and this counts only the eye to eyepiece time. It does not include setup time and the time to check against objects. This 224 hours is a significant increase over my recent years. The last time I swept this many hours in one year was in 1995. It brings my lifetime total number of hours at the end of 2020 to 8,750.5 hours. In those 46 years of continual comet hunting, I've averaged about 190 hours per year. My peak was 553 hours in 1976, followed by 504 hours the next year and 496 hours the year after that. So, in 2020, 94% of my time was spent in the morning sky. The rest was spent sweeping in the evening sky. That's kind of typical as I major in the morning sky. I was out there on 147 nights, or sessions as I call them, meaning that each session lasted about one and a half hours. I also count the number of meteors that crossed my field of view. I record the brightest magnitude each meteor displayed in the field and an indicator describing the length of the path of the meteor for each one. I've been counting meteors since day one of comet hunting, and the next year began recording magnitude and path length. So I have tons of telescopic meteor data. A decade ago, I began to put it all into one single Excel spreadsheet. Then you can sort it by date and look for meteor showers, or do all sorts of things. That spreadsheet has data only through 1983, so I still have a lot of work to do to get it updated to the present date. I would like to complete this in my lifetime, because afterwards it's unlikely that anyone would complete it for me. It takes about three or four hours to type in each year's worth of data, So that's perhaps 150 hours of work to complete the spreadsheet. Presently, I have other priorities that require more attention than my telescopic meteor spreadsheet. So in 2020, I recorded 526 meteors, up slightly from the previous years, perhaps due to me sweeping closer to the horizon this year. I average 1.8 meteors per hour in the morning sky, and less than half that, 0.8 meteors per hour in the evening sky. In 46 years, I recorded 13,908 meteors. Now for the artificial satellites. I count those too. 
These numbers have increased significantly over the past year. Up until this year, I was averaging 2.0 satellites per hour. Now, that's an average, but the rate of satellites that I see generally increases each year because more satellites are launched. In the last four years, I averaged 3.3 satellites per hour. Do you, do you want to guess the number of satellites I saw last year and the number per hour? No, no, it's, it's higher than that. In 2020, I recorded 1,139 satellites with a rate of 5.1 satellites per hour. Starlink's accounts for some of those, but not even the majority of them. Unlike those who are imaging, satellites do not adversely affect my comet hunting. In my 46 years of comet hunting, I've seen 18,334 satellites. Well, not 18,334 different satellites, some of those satellites I saw many times. And, uh, of course, as each year goes by, more and more satellites are launched. All of my comet hunting hours for each month in the past 46 years, plus the number of hours to find each of my 12 comets, is on a single spreadsheet, which you can get from my website. It is called Podcast 57, Don's Comet Hunting Hours. And it has been updated now with the 2020 data. I will be giving a talk about my comet hunting this Saturday, February 6th. It is a remote talk by Zoom to the Atlanta Astronomy Club in conjunction with the Fernbank Science Center in Atlanta, Georgia. You can watch and listen in. The meeting begins at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time this Saturday. And I'll begin my talk sometime around 1.20 p.m. To watch it, go to facebook.com slash Fernbank Center. All one word spelled F-E-R-N-B-A-N-K. C-E-N-T-E-R. And you'll be able to hear me give a talk this Saturday about comet hunting. If your astronomy club or group wants to hear a talk on comet hunting or on the MSA Marathon, please contact me. Now for the comets that we can see this week. The positions, the right ascension and declination of these comets can be found on Podcast 56, Comet Positions. You can also get the positions of these comets from heavens-above.com. The new comet Neowise, 2021A2 Neowise, is in our sky almost all night long. It's presently magnitude 10 to 11. It is plotted on Podcast 57, Map 1, And a more detailed map of it is on last week's podcast, Podcast 56, Map 5. That's for Comet Neowise. 
Comet 141P Mockholtz outburst in brightness during the last week of December, about five weeks ago. I discussed this back then, and recently it has been confirmed by imaging. It is presently about magnitude 11, and it's getting to be very diffuse. That makes it more difficult to see. But you can still see it in our evening sky. Comet 141P Mockholtz is plotted on Podcast 57, Map 1, and it is on the more detailed map from last week's podcast, Podcast 56, Map 4. What perhaps is the most observed object in the winter sky? Oh, and the most photographed. It seems to be the Orion Nebula, a collection of dust and gas 1,300 light years away in the constellation Orion. It is frequently referred to as M42. That's the main portion of it. And Charles Messier made it the 42nd object in his catalog, therefore M42. There is a smaller nebula just north of it, and it is referred to as M43. This whole nebula is about 25 light years across. It is often called a star nursery as new stars are being formed out of this nebula. It is known as an emission nebula. An ultraviolet star is providing the energy to excite the gas. The gas then glows like a fluorescent light. The Orion Nebula can be found south of the belt of Orion and is what is known as a sword. It is indicated on Podcast 57, Map 1, and in more detail on Podcast 57, Map 3. The sword has three stars running roughly north-south. The middle star is the nebula. Let's find the Orion Nebula with the unaided eye now that the moon is out of the sky. Use the podcast maps to find it. Podcast 57, maps 1 and map 3. It should appear as a fuzzy star to the unaided eye. Now we're going to add another Messe object, a nebula known as M78. It is plotted in detail on Podcast 57, Map 3. It is not visible to the unaided eye, but can be seen in binoculars and a telescope. M78 is a reflection nebula. The gas and dust reflects starlight, and, and so it shines. It is not like M42, which fluoresces the light, it reflects light like fog around a street light. It's magnitude 8.4 and 8 arc minutes in size, and it sits about 1,600 light years away. So with binoculars, let's start with M42 and M43 in the Sword of Orion. It should show some shape, and note that in the center there are a few faint stars. Now swing over to M78. It's much fainter than M42 and M43, but it should stand out against the bare background in the area. With a telescope, M42 and M43 may begin to show some color. Some, some people see green, 
And in the center, you might see four stars rather close together. They together are known as the trapezium because of the shape they indicate. Under high magnification, you might be able to see two additional stars for a total of six. Now head over to M78 and look carefully for where it extends southward. That extension is faint. Also near M78 are several other nebula, the most prominent being NGC 2071. Now for fun with the marathon. The Messier Marathon, an attempt to see all 110 galaxies, clusters, and nebula in one night, is best done in late March from mid-northern latitudes. That is when all 110 objects can be seen in one night. However, you can do it any time of the year. And each month, I've discussed in these podcasts what a Messe Marathon would look like under those circumstances. This month, the new moon is February 11th, with Saturday, February 13th being the closest weekend. That is not this weekend, but next weekend, the 13th. What does a mid-February Messe Marathon look like? Well, much of it is like the late March Messe Marathon. As darkness descends upon your evening sky, begin the marathon much as you would in late March. Start with M77, then M74 and 33, which are very high in the western sky. Keep working your way across the sky. Two hours after evening twilight, the Virgo group will be up and you will have found 64 objects. And the amazing thing is that all 64 objects are still above the horizon. In fact, three hours after darkness falls, all objects are still up and above the horizon. This means that you could start the February Messe Marathon three hours after twilight and not miss a thing. This is the only time of the year when this can be done. Some morning objects are missing as they do not rise until well after twilight. The last objects you will pick up if you have a low eastern and southeastern horizon will be M69, 70, 54, and then to the east, M15. That is it. M15 will probably be the last object you'll pick up. You won't get Messier objects 55, 75, 72, 73, 2, and 30. Still, a night of 104 objects is still a great night. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? The moon is in the morning sky. Two comets are visible about magnitude 10 to 11. Get out and see the constellation Orion and M42, 43, and M78. And toward the end of this week and next weekend, it's a good time to get out and do the Messe Marathon. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 57 for February 3rd, 
2021. I'm Don Mockholtz. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z dot com, two H's. You can contact me at donthestronomer at gmail.com. Once again, all one word, that is donthestronomer at gmail.com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. We will discuss what's up in the sky and we'll look at some new objects. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week. Thank you.